Our passage this morning is from Isaiah 60 and the first couple verses of Isaiah 61. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, and they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud, and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar their silver and gold with them, for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, night, day and night they shall not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace, and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for the brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. 
for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and in its time I will hasten it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, before we continue to consider this passage, um, would you please uh, join with me in prayer? Father, we again ask for attentive hearts and attentive minds. Lord, we think of how you say that the one that you honor is the one who trembles at your word, who is humble and contrite in heart. And so that is our desire, that we would be humble and contrite as those who listen to your word and desire in every way to be shaped by it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, probably like a lot of you, I've been kind of processing a lot over this past week um, between, as I said, the scenes of George Floyd's death and then the scenes of of these cities being um, being looted, being uh, not just protesting but but violence, and uh, I've been trying to do a lot of listening. Uh, maybe some of you saw some of the the different speeches. For example, in Atlanta, there's a rapper by the name of Killer Mike speaking to his city, exhorting them to channel their anger in a, in a productive way. There was the mayor of Atlanta calling on everyone to go to go home as they seek to do something, to make something better than what they're doing. And, and it struck me, listening to this and others, that, that there is there's a, an appropriateness, an, a need for anger in, in moments such as these. To, to just speak of, of productive solutions without anger is kind of empty. It, it's a lie. It, there's an evilness to it because there is something that is wrong. There is injustice that we cannot be complacent about. It is, it is right for us to be angry at these things that we are seeing. And yet, at the same time, anger that is only that, anger that is not accompanied by hope, also is not good. It ends up being nihilistic, purely destructive, also in its own way demonic, that that in this world in which we find ourselves, there's a need for, for anger and hope somehow together. 
And I was struck by this reflection as I was thinking about the passages that we are looking at in our final weeks in studying Isaiah, where to use that kind of image that I've been using, we're near the very top of the mountain. And what we see there are these two very things of, of anger and hope. So do you remember last week, we have these two bookend passages in 59 and 63. And, and what we see is God being angry. It says he looks on this injustice in this world. And he looks and he sees that there is no one who can fix it. And he is appalled. In his wrath, he comes to destroy the injustice. He comes to make things right. There is anger. And in this anger of God, we, we see that there is a rightness, a righteousness an appropriateness of anger when it is done where we ultimately are entrusting it over to God. But, but in between these passages where we see God's holy anger, we see something also remarkable. We see a picture of hope. We see something actually that's almost impossible in this moment to, to even envision, to feel like it could be real, and that is that God speaks of, of a salvation that will happen through you. So to just kind of uh, situate us, to help us to understand what's actually happening in this passage, I want to just fast forward a few hundred years to a village in Galilee, in the northern part of Israel, as on a Saturday, as is the custom, hundreds of people come together in a synagogue to hear this day a teacher, a, a local son of the carpenter, Jesus, who has been slowly getting a reputation as a teacher, but now he's preaching in his hometown. And when he stands up to preach, he begins by taking the scroll, the very scroll that we have been focusing on, the scroll of Isaiah, and he opens it up to the very passage that we just heard. He, he quotes from those final verses that Jennifer just read, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He reads that, and then he very carefully closes the scroll and, and sets it down. And there is this sense of expectation. People are waiting to see what he will say. And, and he says, today, right now, as you are listening to me, these words are being fulfilled. And so what he is meaning by this is that these words that we have just read begin to happen, begin to come into place with the coming of Jesus. That Jesus is that spirit-anointed messenger who is now initiating, who is now beginning that new season of God's favor. The season by which God's beauty will change the world. And, and what that means is that what we are looking at in these verses is not something that is just some 
thing in the future for us to wait for. If we understand these verses rightly, we need to understand that it's describing what's happening as hard as it is to believe right now. So it begins, it begins with, well, it begins with darkness. Um, verse 2, it, the ESV translates it, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth. It's probably better to translate it, darkness is covering the earth. That is a, a present day thing. That's how the NIV translates it. I think that's right. Darkness covers the earth. Darkness in Isaiah is what Isaiah uses to describe the effects of a world that has trained itself to forget God. So God, as we have seen again and again, his, God is light. God is the source of truth and of true righteousness. He is the source of joy. He is the source of beauty. And yet humanity, for its chaotic reasons, has chosen instead to live their own way, has chosen to be independent of God, has, has trained itself to either forget that God exists or at least to act as if he is not central. And so as a result, having turned from the light, humanity is in darkness. And in that darkness, that means they are incapable of being able to experience righteousness the way it was meant to be. They are incapable of understanding truth in its fullest sense. They are capable of being able to experience the riches of joy because they are in darkness. And, and my guess is, as I say right now, that the Bible says the world is in darkness. I probably don't need to spend much time convincing us of that reality. Maybe a few decades ago I would have if we were preaching, if I was preaching then, because there was a time where it there was this sense of optimism. The future looks so bright, I got to wear shades. Do you remember that song where the sense that technology and progress would lead us to truth and to beauty? But I don't think there's anyone who thinks that much right now. What kind of a world do we live in where a few weeks after Ahmaud Arbery's death becomes so visible and it's so awful, we see Gavin Floyd asphyxiated under the knee of a what kind of a world do we live in where we see such, such anger leading to destruction in, in the cities around us? And, and it's so confusing and so chaotic and there's protest and there's rioting. What kind of a world do we live in where there is such persistent despair that we hear more than yearly of mass shootings, even in schools? What kind of a world do we live in where we hear of deaths upon deaths of despair from addictions and suicide? We live in a world that is covered in darkness. And, and in Isaiah's time, Israel was supposed to be the exception to this. They were meant to be the people who knew God, who, who had the light. But yet, as we have seen, that's not how it was, that, that Israel has also turned their back on God. They have turned away. And so as God's judgment upon them for this decision, he has given them exactly what they asked for. He has allowed them to move into darkness. And so they, too, are plunged into the same despair and disorder and, and, and brokenness that the rest of the world is in. The world is in darkness. That's how our passage begins. 
But, and here's the promise, there will come a day, God says, when this will change. Arise, shine, for your light has come. There will come a day where light will penetrate the darkness. And it is spoken of as, as rising upon the people. Have you ever have you ever had to drive on a road trip through the night? There are moments, maybe like at three in the morning, where the darkness just seems like it is never going away. It is heavy, it seems eternal, but then at some moment the sun rises and sometimes you maybe you see the light kind of like shining in your eyes and and suddenly everything feels different and and god says that day is coming you are in the nighttime now but light will shine upon you and, and the light specifically says the glory of the lord has risen upon you god's glory will shine upon you he says to his people now what does that even mean for for God to shine on his people. Well, sometimes when I give the benediction, maybe you remember this is from the Old Testament. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. It is an expression of relationship. It's speaking of God's smile, of God being near and, and showing his love so that people suddenly experience God's goodness again. For God to shine on his people is for them to once again be able to gaze upon the beauty of him and his kindness as his light beams upon them. It is this promise of an experience again of God's favor, of his grace. But this image of shining is about more than only them being able to experience and see God more clearly again. Because think of it. What happens to the moon when the sun shines upon it? It's not just that the moon experiences the light. The moon reflects the light. And in the same way, when God is saying, arise, shine, for your light has come, he is promising a transformation. Do you notice that the glory of the Lord has risen upon you? Before, behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. God is saying a time will come when I will so shine upon you. I will so make my presence known that you will begin to reflect my glory. I will change you so that more and more you will look like me. And if we continue down the following verses, that's that's kind of fleshed out along other things. And, and we have these different images of, of what that will look like as they start reflecting reflecting the light. As they start taking on the beauty of God, it says, righteousness and peace shall be the ones who lead you. There will no more be a time where the vulnerable are oppressed or when people are victims of injustice, because righteousness will be your ruler. There will be a place for everyone. Peace will rule over. There will no longer be petty divisions where one side and the other side keep on arguing and no one listens to each other because peace will rule over you. And there will be joy. Your, your walls will not be because of fear. Your gates will be described as praise because those who come in, those who come out, those who are in will be overcome by joy. God says, I will shine my light upon you and you will be made 
And I want to just kind of remind us again that Jesus, when he begins his ministry, when he wants to explain what he is all about, he says, these things have begun to be fulfilled in him. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. When Jesus came to this world, it was God shining his face upon his people, showing them his favor, that the time of his wrath is over, that is going to be dealt with on the cross, showing his love, his beauty in the face of Christ. He shines in darkness and he pierces the darkness. And just as this passage says, what happens next is transformation. As Jesus dies and rises again and ascends, what does he do next? He sends his spirit. That's what we celebrate on Pentecost. And, and his spirit, what does his spirit do? The Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to us. We, we see the glory of God in Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real in us. The Spirit changes us and, and causes us more and more to look like Jesus. And that's exactly what we see in Acts. As the Spirit comes, as people see Jesus more clearly, as people come to faith, what happens next? It says, God's people come together. They are united in this joyful praise, having come to understand the gospel. And, and then they start changing. Those who are wealthy share what they have. It says no one treated their own possessions as just as if they were their own. And so as a result, there was no one who was lacking. The most poor and the most rich together enjoyed plenty. There was unity Peace and righteousness ruled over this people. There was joy as they were united in praise. In Acts, we see the glory of the Lord shining upon the people and the people starting to look like God and being made beautiful. And that continues to be true. Do you know what Ephesians says we are? We who are Christians. It calls us children of light because the glory of God has shone upon us and he is changing us that we also shine to the world around us. So that's how our passage begins, but it's more than that. This is not just speaking of a moment. This passage speaks of what we might call a movement, a movement of beauty to save the world which I realize sounds just, I don't know if it sounds cheesy or horribly unrealistic, but I don't know of a better way of describing what we see in the following verses than that. Because as I understand, a movement is when people come together to bring about change. And that's what's happening in these verses, except it's not, it's not a people coming together around some sort of manifesto or people coming together around just, just rage. It's people who are gathering together and bringing change through the beauty of God. Imagine for a moment, um, just, and this might be hard, but I'm going to ask you to use your imagination and just have this image in your head. Imagine there's like a group of people, maybe just a handful, five or six, in the middle of a busy city while people are walking all around in the middle of the day, and they began singing. And the song that they sing is just achingly beautiful. 
And, and as they sing, people who have been walking, who are busy, they look up from their phones, they stop walking, and they start just to listen. And because the song actually is simple, people, as they hear, find themselves joining in. And so other voices, baritones and basses, sopranos and altos, other voices start joining in the song. And as, as the song gets louder, others stop and listen, and they start joining in. And soon it spreads so that the whole city block, people have stopped their cars and opened their windows, and they have joined in song. And people have opened the door and the windows and their houses and uh, like the, the skyscrapers, and they're listening. And suddenly there's this spreading song that is beautiful, that is repeated without any sense of repetitiveness. There is a movement of beauty. And I want to say that is, that's an image that's very in line with what God promises in these verses. Because after God shines upon his people, after he arises upon them and they reflect that light, do you see what happens next in verse 3? People see the light and they come. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. They come because of course they do, because the world is in darkness and there is one place where light, where glory is shining and it is beautiful and it is attractive. And so as people notice, they start coming. But they don't just come to see, they come to join. So the next verse speaks about how people are coming and they're bringing children from afar. They're saying, look, you're having all these kids that you didn't know were yours, excuse me, are being brought to you. And, and, and that's an image of these people becoming their children, joining their family, people from all over the world saying, I want to be a part of you. I want to be a part of this thing that I'm seeing. And, and they don't just join. They, they bring their gifts. So we see in subsequent verses, talking in verse 6, about bringing gold and frankincense. Those who have these treasures on these ships, these merchants, bring their treasures as a gift. As a gift to, to contribute in praise. It says to praise of God, the good news of the gospel they're bringing. Others bring animals, and the animals are there to be offered as, as sacrifices to God. Some people bring their gifts of work. So verse 10 talks about foreigners building up the walls of the city. Others, people from Lebanon, where there are trees that are great, bring their trees to make the city. Every person from every nation who comes, comes to bring their gifts, their talents, their treasures as a part of this movement. They come to make the city more beautiful. That's what verse 7 says. It says, and when these things happen, I will beautify my beautiful house. Every person from every nation who comes will contribute and make this more beautiful. And as it becomes more beautiful, others will take notice. And they will come and they will bring whatever gifts and treasures they have. And the result is told right near the very end of chapter 60, where it says, and I will do these things in verse 20, that I might be glorified. That word glorified, it's actually the word for beauty, that I might display my beauty. Do you remember way back in 
early on in Isaiah, Isaiah 11, that God speaks of what he will do, that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of God in the same way that the waters fill the sea. And, and here we see God saying, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it with I'm going to do it by shining my light and transforming my people so that they are so attractive that other people join, and they're so attractive that other people join, until the world is changed and come to see me and rejoice in me. And what I want to say again is that's not describing something in the distant future. What, what this movement of beauty is describing as people are hearing the song and joining in is describing the day that we live in right now. It, it began, as we've already said, with Pentecost. Do you, do you remember what happens next as God's people are gathering and there's a beauty about them? It says people around them saw and, and were filled with awe. And as they hear this song that the beautiful people of God are singing, they join in. It says numbers are added every day. And then the song begins to spread. Samaria hears the gospel. Samaria sees the beauty and people from Samaria join. And then it goes beyond. And, and slowly it spreads through Greece and Turkey and Rome. Place by place, little churches begin that have heard the gospel. And as these churches begin, people around start noticing a difference, a kind of a kindness, a willingness to show care for the vulnerable, a, a refusal to favor the rich, a righteousness and peace that, that oversees the church. And others say, I want this too. And they come and they join and they come to know the beauty of God. And then they contribute. You even have a place in the New Testament where in a very literal way this takes place, where churches from all over the area make a collection so they can send their treasures to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is an impoverished time. Nations are sharing. They are bringing their treasures for the glory of God. And that story continues. That's the, that's the history of the world since then. Because as the church continues to sing its song and as people hear its beauty, it spreads. Nations stream. It moves from the Middle East to the Mediterranean, to Europe, to North and South America, to the nations in Africa, to China. I wonder if we realize just how extraordinary that reality is. Even just the extraordinary reality of what I spoke of early on in the early church. Do you know how unlike anything the world had ever seen it was? For in a day where a patriarchy, men and women served side by side as partners in the church. And, and slave and master were considered to be peers as they came together in the body of Christ. And Jews... And Romans, who before might hate each other, called each other brother and sister as they were united by praise and as it extends throughout the world. And the thing that has caused this to grow and to change things and to change people is this beauty. 
the beauty of God that shines upon his church, the beauty of God that shines through his church. Now, I realize that even speaking in some ways in these terms of, of God's beauty, the beauty of his gospel shining through his church might just seem so untethered from reality. Because we, we know we know that there is hypocrisy in the church. We know that the same things that we dislike elsewhere, we see in the church itself, in, in racism, in divisiveness. And yet I want to invite us to look again and to see in the midst of all of that something that is altogether different from what this world is accustomed to. I want you to, to consider the churches in China, that as they are at times being persecuted, at times the leaders are thrown in prison, yet they maintain faithfulness and joy of the gospel they believe. That is beautiful. Or think of the churches that are in the heart of our cities, churches that are largely black, that are standing with the oppressed, with the poor, that are calling for righteousness in peaceful demonstration. Or I think of even yesterday seeing members of a church in an interview sweeping up parts of Atlanta after the looting and, and saying to the mayor, Jesus loves you and loves the city, and we do too. That's beautiful. Or even think of what we see in our small suburban church where God is teaching us to do something that is not natural to us, and he's teaching us repentance teaching us to, to see our own failings and to turn from them, teaching us to admit we're wrong when we are in conflict with others, teaching us to recognize when we have fallen into the trap of materialism and instead to turn our hearts to side and care with the vulnerable and the poor and to seek justice. This is the work of the Holy Spirit and it is God shining his light and showing his beauty. And this morning, I don't have a whole lot to say other than this. Yes, we are in a time of lament, and we are a time where anger is appropriate. But I want you and me to understand that even alongside of this, that we are in a time where we can have tremendous hope. And that hope is not in politics, although we are called to use political means to seek change. And hope is not in education, although, of course, we want to know truth and help others to know the truth. And that hope is not in technology, although technology can be a gift. That hope is in the beauty of the gospel as it is displayed in God's beautiful church. And that hope is real. And God is doing so much more than we realize as he is fulfilling these promises. And yes, some of these things that are spoken of here are still in the future. There is a day in the future where there will be no more mourning. There is a day where we will see God's face and it will shine to us like the sun in a way that it does not right now. But even right now, that day is beginning to dawn. And, and next week, I... I I'll spend more time thinking about this and what this means for us. But I just want to note as we close that there is a calling 
that this puts upon us. And it's the calling that we hear at the very beginning of our passage where we are told, arise and shine, for your light has come. We are children of light, and we are called to be so infused, so focused on the light of the beauty of God that as we turn to the world, and turn to the world we must, we can somehow show the character of God and the beauty of God and the grace of God to the world around us so that they might see and be able to join us in this song. And I'd love for us to spend just a minute or two in silent prayer, both, both confessing where we have not yet lived up to that calling and also praying before God that he would make us into that beautiful church that would show his beauty to the world around us. So let's spend a couple minutes in silent prayer together. Father, you know the reality of who we are. You know the many places where your light still needs to invade in our hearts. We want that. We acknowledge before you our own selfishness, our own insensitivity, our own failings, many of which we do not even see. And we ask that you would shine your light, that you would expose the evil within us and among us, that you would lead us to repentance. We pray for your forgiveness. And we pray more and more that you would change us, that as we turn towards you and as we see your light shining upon us, that that would change us in a way that enables the world around us to see you and draw near to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here again, uh, the good news of the gospel, this time from Isaiah chapter 44. A, a, a command, even in the midst of these moments where it seems dark to rejoice, sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth, break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will display his beauty in Israel. Brothers and sisters rejoice, for in Christ we are God's redeemed and beautified people. Thanks be to God.